K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung. It's nice to be back in Los Angeles. I was in Alaska for uh, about four days, and it was really something. Yeah, it is a very beautiful place, for sure. I mean, I thought it was epically gorgeous. I remember saying about five months ago that I really wanted to see snow, and I got to see it. I mean, my wish was granted. Not only did I see snow shortly after I said I wanted to see snow because I went driving up into the mountains of California where I got to see snow back in December, but a few months later, it snowed in Southern California. Yeah, I got some hail up in the valley, which was cool. And then I was in Alaska where there was snow everywhere constant flurries. I took a tram up over in Girdwood and I saw the ski slopes over there, which was like really beautiful. And I got to see some, uh, what do you call them? Like mud flats or whatever. They're like these icy, uh, things up on the beach. Like they look like parts of glaciers. Anyway, it was really nice. It was very beautiful. Would I live there? No, I would not. I thought it was outrageous how expensive the food is in Alaska. Importing things from everywhere, so everything's expensive. It's basically like visiting Hawaii. In Hawaii, everything was super expensive, and it's the same thing in Alaska. Everything's very expensive. I did get a lot of snow on the last day I was there. I spent all of Saturday just looking at snow out the window. Saturday, I did record a live episode of the K-Drama School podcast, which was a lot of fun, and I will be uploading that very soon. That was a super fun experience, and it actually wasn't too taxing. I thought it was going to be like this whole big thing, but it was actually pretty smooth, easy, and we had lots and lots of fun. So I I am hoping that I can do that more. I will definitely do it more, for sure. I think that's definitely on the agenda. The show I'm going to be talking about today is called Beef, which was written by Yi Sung-jin, or Lee Sung-jin. Uh, Yi Sung-jin, he's a writer. He's a screenwriter, and he has some pretty impressive credits on IMDb. He's written for shows like Tuka and Birdie. He's written for Two Broke Girls. He wrote for this show called Dave on FX, which I just never thought was... <laughs> I couldn't get into it. I thought it was super boring. But any case, he has uh, many, many years of writing experience, and this is his first show where he is the showrunner. He's the creator of the show, uh, Beef, starring Steve Yun and Ali Wong. Yeah mega stars, right? Titans. Yes. Titans when it comes to the Asian American A star list. And this is an excellent show. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, I strongly recommend it. It is a dark comedy drama series set in Calabasas, Southern California, which focuses on a Korean American man named Danny Cho and a Vietnamese Chinese American woman named Amy Lau. Yeah. Amy Lau <laughs> is very much constructed out of Amy uh, Ali Wong's background and experiences. It's like very apparent in the text how many overlaps there are uh, that are jutting out of the Ali Wong origin seed. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. So is beef a Korean drama? For one, we have the actor Joseph Lee, who plays George Nakai. He is a Korean-American actor who actually performed in a K-drama called The Miracle We Met, which came out in 2018 and stars Kim Hyun-ju and Kim Myung-min. So we have a K-drama industry worker on the show Beef playing a major role. So, okay, there's 
a little bit of Korean drama, K-drama element at play already, okay? The creator, Lee Sung-jin, he is a soul-born Korean-American screenwriter and showrunner, and I think that is also significant. Yeah, I think the fact that the creator is of Korean heritage automatically makes him potentially a K-drama series creator, only because, you know, he's Korean-American. Yeah, which means he probably grew up watching some Korean TV, if not a lot of Korean TV. And what we consume does influence our output. So I think the K-drama influence is there. But is Beef a K-drama? No, it is not. Absolutely not. K-dramas are produced in Korea with Korean production companies, with Korean cast and crew. This is not quite the case. This is very much a Korean-American production. Arguably just a just an American production. The fact that Jordan, the character Jordan, is a billionaire with cash to spend is also pretty K-drama-ish because you always need somebody with the money bags in a show, right? I mean, what's everybody working towards? What's what's everybody striving towards? What's everybody fighting for? They're fighting for money. Yeah. So we need somebody to represent that. Yeah, whatever the fight is, whatever the climb is, whatever the mountain is. Yeah, we need that figure there. And Jordan is a very fascinating character who plays this role in a wonderful way. What makes this show feel extremely Korean American specifically for me uh, were the church scenes. Yeah, anytime I saw Justin H. Min playing that like creepy square dude, like the church leader dude, I was just like, oh my God, like I absolutely knew people like this growing up. I knew at least several of these people. And all of them were hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. And that was so refreshing. It was so refreshing to see him break down like that. And I thought Justin H. Min played that role in a really wonderful way. The church scenes were actually very triggering for me. Yeah. I mean, I've mentioned this on my podcast m- multiple times, so you guys are privy to it. But yeah, like the Korean American church fucked me up really bad. And so I had to fast forward all the church singing parts. Like whenever the... Korean American church like they're gathered together and they're singing songs and whatever I was just like I, I fast forward through all of it because it was just way too triggering for me brought back all these nightmares my whole body was like stiff and you know I didn't feel very good so uh, I had to fast forward that but I appreciated how significant those scenes are to the text because that is very much a big part of many Korean American people's experiences The way that Danny is obsessed with buying his parents' land and building them a home so that they could all live in it together is very on-brand for the eldest Korean child. Like, every single blue-collar Korean kid dreams of buying their parents a house someday. And it's like this unnecessary pressure that the kid places on themselves, especially guys, to uphold everything for the family. In Korea, there is a term, it's a cultural concept called changnam. Changnam just means eldest son. And it's this patriarchal concept that dates back to ancient Korea. And the changnam is the one who inherits the family fortune. He's the one that inherits the family property and land and assets. He is the one that is responsible for passing down certain family traditions. Um, he's responsible for preserving some family Um, assets and traditions. He is responsible for passing down the name, okay? He's the one that is the eldest brother for all the siblings to go to if they're in trouble, 
usually it will be a financial trouble, right? If they're financially fucked, they're going to go to the eldest brother, right? So on this show, you see Danny living with his younger brother, Paul, and Paul is doing nothing. Yeah. So Danny is the breadwinner. Danny is the one that has to work and take care of himself, his younger brother and his parents and buy this house. So there's just a lot of pressure on the guy. Okay. But what does Paul do? Paul sits at home. He plays internet games. That's also very on brand for Korean guys. And for Korean chicks, like a lot of Koreans play online games and it is a form of addiction. It is uh, also a symptom of depression, I think. The scene when Danny is on the phone calling a realtor, like on that property site, while horking down four Burger King sandwiches, binge eating from stress was really like difficult for me to watch. But it was such an excellent scene because, you know, it just says very loudly that Danny is fucking stressed out. You know, he is just under so much pressure, under so much burden, and everybody hates him. Yeah, like he's just so desperate to do things right by other people's standards and expectations all the time that he seems sort of lost as to who he is. And he seems lost from himself. You know, there's a scene when Paul says to Danny, like, you know, in a with a critique, like he says, you know, you live by these arbitrary rules, you know, like, oh, you have to first, you know, have the business up and running before you get married and have children and bring your family to live with you and da da da. It's like, no, you don't necessarily have to live by these rules, right? Like you can do whatever you want. It's just Danny doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he wants. And it's like his old his whole identity is built out of these expectations from other people mainly his parents and probably not even his parents it's like a much bigger expectation that exists in the cultural realm like what makes a korean man a korean man what makes a changnam and what makes a korean male identity are these fucking pressures these abstract pressures put on themselves and it's mostly a financial thing it's mostly a financial burden but is danny there for paul emotionally or you know in any other way, like mentally. Is he there even physically when Paul really needs him? No, really, he's not, right? So it's like, while Danny wants to do the right thing, and he wants to be that reliable older sibling, he's quite absent in Paul's life, just like Danny's parents are physically absent, right? Oh, this is interesting. Danny's a contractor, right? He's a handyman. He He's responsible for maintaining people's houses. So his job every day is to go and look at other people's houses, beautiful, expensive homes, and improve them when he himself does not have a home. Yeah, so every day it's like he has to confront this lack in his life. And imagine the misery of living that way. Also, the way that Danny was trying to kill himself with hibachi grills, I thought that was really funny because Koreans use the charcoal briquettes in Korea. Like, that's like the standard way to commit suicide. And I thought, like, wow, um, Danny Cho is being like very Korean right now by trying to kill himself with hibachi grills. <laughs> but he doesn't have the charcoal briquettes. So, I mean, like, how's that going to work, right? I thought it was uh, fascinating how Beef shows how dismissive Amy's father is towards her and finds her perpetually insufficient. And she speaks up. She does say, like, you know, like, why can't you ever just say, like, you're proud of me or say a compliment, right? And do they comply? No, they don't. 
Uh, you also have a scene where Danny and Paul's father seems very like absent when it comes to the plans that Danny has. Like Danny's like ambitious. He has plans. Like he wants to make things happen. But, you know, Danny's father is like, well, you know, like don't bother or do whatever, you know, like, yeah, it's just it, it, it seems somewhat tied to a critique of uh, Asian patriarchy. In Danny's father's case, like, he's a failure. Mm -hmm. In Amy's father's case, he's also somewhat of a failure. Compared to his daughter, he is, right? Because she's the one that paid off the mortgage and all of that. You know? It's like, these fathers are living off the backs of their children. But do they ask, like, what the children are going through? And do they tell the children, like, it's okay. You don't need to do all of this. Like, you are enough. Do they say it? And if they were to say it, would the children hear it even? Like, I mean, these characters are in their late 30s, maybe early 40s. And do they hear it? I don't think they'd be able to hear it. They've been living decades of their lives under this gun that they put on themselves. You know, the fact that Amy masturbates while using a gun is also very interesting, right? It's like, oh, holding this gun to herself is the only way that she could turn herself on. You know, she does blame her husband and she says like, oh, sex with you is so vanilla. But I think it's deeper than that. You know, it's like the the pressure that she places under on herself and the pressure that she lives under is what makes her thrive. That's really what turns her on. That's really what gets her to focus, you know? And that is why Amy and Danny met, right? That's why they met. That's why they met via this road rage because they're the exact same person. They both are living under constant stress and burden, taking care of other people, right? But it's like, well, you're placing that burden on yourself. That's not necessary, would you be able to find yourself to be enough if we were to ask you? <laughs> it's a deep show, man. This show's fucking deep. Ah, Beef also shows the drama of Korean families and how they fuck each other over. Like Isaac Cho, for instance, played by Danny Che, is that dude. He's a hustler and he has ties with the underworld and he has a knack for making money and he's got that K-Rage temper. But he did screw Danny's family over. Danny's his cousin. And he screwed that family over by, you know, conducting illicit business at their family motel, which ruined Danny's entire life. His fam his parents had to leave the country. You know, Danny's whole entire, that whole business went kaput. And then now Danny is living with the aftermath of it. He's the one that's trying to pick up the pieces by working as a contractor and having his own business. I saw a lot of overlaps in the screenwriting of Beef when it comes to Ali Wong's real life. For instance, like Ali Wong's case, her life is a K-drama in a sense. You know, her father-in-law, Ken Hakuta, he's actually a Zainichi Korean. Okay, so he goes by the name Hakuta. He, go, he identifies, I guess, as Japanese-American, but he's actually Korean-American. And his uncle is a world-renowned Korean-American artist named Ping Namjoon. And Justin Hakuta is the grandnephew of Ping Namjoon and Ali Wang's ex-husband. A big part of Amy's struggle in the show is her husband George and his family, especially the mother-in-law, Fumi, who is very similar to Amy's own father in the, in the fact that, like, they're both in a constant state of disapproval of Amy, 
Yeah. So Amy has like two parents, two sets of parents that she needs to satisfy. So she overworks herself tirelessly so that she could afford the lifestyle and the luxury so that she could enjoy it with her family. But, you know, also to impress her mother-in-law and also to impress her parents. Right. In Ali Wong's stand-up special, she talks about it also in her memoir. She discusses how the Hakuta family had Ali sign a prenup before she got married to Justin Hakuta. And that's very much a K-drama move because a rich Korean family where they have like financial assets as well as cultural power to uphold, the parents will always disapprove of whoever the son brings home. It's just a standard given. Okay, so the fact that uh, Ali Wong had to sign a prenup, okay, that detail alone is just very telling of the kind of drama that they must have gone through when they were dating and when they first got married. Because, yeah, come on, like, Ping Nam Jun is, like, his stuff is in all the top museums around the world. Yeah. So imagine, like, that kind of influence burdening a family and then you marrying into that family that is dealing with that burden and stressing everybody out. Okay. And making you feel insufficient all your life. Mm. So that's the gun that Amy Lau is holding, you know, to her head constantly. I want to go back to this concept of K-Rage. So K-Rage is Korean rage. And it's a term because it is so common. Like a lot of Koreans have it. Uh, In Korean, you call it Hwapyeong. Hwapyeong is like literally getting ill out of anger. And I've seen it growing up in my family. Sometimes it turns into depression, like with my mom. Sometimes it turns into actual uh, rage issues, like with my father. Sometimes it turns into self-afflicted abuse, like in my instance. And uh, I've seen it in a lot of Korean guys. Like a lot of guys like screaming, throwing shit, you know, getting into fights, you know, cursing a lot screaming at their family members, screaming at their girlfriends, being violent, okay? It's something that I've definitely seen a lot of. And this show, Beef, really showcases that. It exhibits that in a wonderful way. It exhibits that through the character Isaac Cho, right? Like David Che, like, I mean, he's somebody that actually has K-Rage and, you know, it's like he's kind of open about it. Um, But he displays it on the show, Right. By yelling, by being violent, by being toxic. So K-Rage is definitely present. Uh, Steve Young's character, Danny Cho, definitely has K-Rage. Right. We saw it like when he's on the road, came out in the form of road rage. It's not like he had a reason to be angry per se at the opening of the show. Like his irritation started igniting when he's standing in line, looking at the guy ahead of him, just taking a sweet time at the register, you know, and that's like something like a lot of us could relate to. I can definitely relate to that. I get so pissed when people are like taking their sweet fucking time at the register, but it's like, why does it ignite so fast? You know, why does it escalate so quickly? I mean, that's the question, you know? So where does this K-Rage come from? What is it trying to communicate? What is it trying to inform us of? And that's a much deeper, muddier, conversation that the show doesn't exactly dive into but it does through some of the characters personal experiences right and we see it when they start tripping balls in the last episode and Danny starts hearing voices like oh you know from his mom saying you got to take care of Paul like you're the eldest son so you got to take care so it's like this constant pressure again of the Changnam that is breaking him apart 
Yeah, totally splitting him into pieces. I thought the show was excellent at revealing how similar Amy and Danny are. It's like they're Amy and Danny, they're like the same person. That's why in the psychedelic scene, when they're like tripping balls, um, Amy starts narrating Danny's life in Danny's first person and, and vice versa. You know, so I thought that was like a brilliant way to show like, oh, you guys are the same exact people. Like, I mean, the same exact person. You guys are mirroring each other in a lot of ways. It also shows like how collective consciousness works, right? It's like, you know, your thread and my thread are actually the same thread. Yeah. And it's like the shame and guilt and lack, that cycle of shame, guilt and lack that Asian immigrants get cycled into, stuck in right? How do you break free from that? How do you break free from the rage that you have over these unfair feelings that that you feel like you're being chokeholded with? How do you free yourself from this bond? And it's like, well, you can't. Not unless you have this psychedelic trip that throws you out into the fucking stratosphere, you know? Like, fucking unhinges everything, and it's like, redo this. Let's piece this back together. A psychedelic experience is helpful in a show's narrative in that, you know, it offers a new ex- new experience and a new perspective, okay? And I thought it was interesting and clever how the show used this as a device. It used it in a way that wasn't paranoid. It used it in a way that was, like, more accurate and closer to what a psychedelic experience actually is like. But, you know, like, the thing about psychedelic experiences is that it they fade just as quickly as wealth and material do and you know it's really like what does a person do with that newfound perspective what do they decide to make with the lessons that they learned from that experience that's really what it's about and we don't know that i'm pretty sure the show will have a season two if it doesn't have a season two i will be very surprised i'm quite sure this will have a season two probably three i think this is the best asian american tv series i've ever seen yeah if not one of the best TV shows I've seen in the last five years. Yeah. Excellent show. Very, you know, high praise worthy. And it's like exactly the kind of show that I've been waiting for as a Korean American woman growing up in the United States. So I'm very grateful that someone as talented as Yi Sung Jin got it right. So kudos. 